Welcome to the On the Verge of podcast, where we explore the world of politics and policy and focus on how tech companies can navigate the politics of disruption. Hello, and welcome back to the On the Verge of podcast. I'm Kate Fogarty, and I'm joined by Scott Gerber, partner and co-founder of Verge Strategies. We're back with our fifth episode, this time focus on a topic that has been called a profound risk to humanity that threatens society at the same scale as nuclear war. You guessed it, artificial intelligence. Scott, tell us a little bit about your conversation. Thanks, Kate. I had the opportunity to chat with Peter Leroux Munoz, who leads technology innovation policy at the Silicon Valley Leadership Group, and we tried to get some answers. Uh, AI's unique potential to scale exponentially has caused the surrounding conversation to reach new heights, some pointing out reasonable risks and others saying that Skynet is coming. And for those of you under 30, that's a Terminator 2 reference. Uh, So today in talking with Peter, uh, we try to cut through the BS and really get to the bottom of what, what responsible AI is and what it isn't. So what should we know about AI? What are the opportunities and what are the challenges? So without further ado, let's jump in. And if you like it, as Kate likes to say, please smash that subscribe button. We're here today with Peter Leroux Munoz, the General Counsel and Senior Vice President for Technology Policy at the Silicon Valley Leadership Group. In this role, Peter oversees policy development and advocacy to promote and safeguard Silicon Valley's innovation, especially related to autonomous vehicles, artificial intelligence, data privacy, international trade, antitrust, digital assets, and immigration, a modest portfolio. Uh, Peter began his career in intellectual property litigation and held leadership legal roles at a financial firm. And from 2011 to 2022, Peter was an elected official and served as mayor pro tem and council member for the city of Gilroy. Peter, welcome to the pod. Scott, thanks so much for having me. Really excited to be here today. Well, thanks for joining us. You know, we're here today to talk about... um, artificial intelligence, which is really the talk of the town in recent weeks and months. Uh, Before we begin, I remember the first time I encountered a computer browser, Mozilla. It was back when I was at Stanford, 1995, um, applying for the Stanford and Oxford program. And they made us go into a room to use this browser. And my mind was blown. And I knew almost immediately uh, that that was going to change the way we encountered the internet, which which before that was largely through Unix-based email systems like Elm and Pine Tree. Uh, I had that same experience when I first tried ChatGPT um, uh, uh, earlier this year, or actually it was, uh, late last year. So, uh, for our audience, give us um, Give us a sense of what you see as the definition of artificial intelligence and if you see it as the killer app that that I see it as. So artificial intelligence is technology that simulates human intelligence. And it is technology that is refined over time as software interacts with greater quantities of information. 
Now, what does that actually mean? It means that software and their underlying components are like young students. When they're exposed to more information, when they have further experiences, they grow smarter. So that's kind of how I see artificial intelligence. Uh, I don't know that I necessarily share some of the, uh, the fears that, that you or others might have around AI, uh, but we'll get into some of the concerns and how we mitigate those as we uh, continue our conversation here. So let's start on the opportunity side of the equation. In what ways do you think AI is either already having an impact on the world around us or has the potential to really uh, change lives, especially for the better? Yeah, AI will touch on nearly every aspect of human activity, and it offers great potential for breakthroughs in a variety of fields, uh, because really it's all about helping us leverage data and using that data in new and more efficient ways. So we can consider a couple of those industries just to kind of start off here. I mean, you look at healthcare, uh, the National Institute of Health, you know, they put out a couple of statements that they have that AI could help with regard to pattern recognition of disease outbreaks. Um, they can use AI with regard to predictive analytics to better predict and more effectively predict where there are going to be future hotspots and where to concentrate limited medical resources. So that's something that's very important in the health industry. In terms of education, your, your alma mater has a center there for AI. And they note that AI can help teachers in terms of preparing lesson plans or offering real-time feedback on concepts that students may be struggling with uh, based on the types of questions that, that students are asking or how long the students engage with certain materials. So education is, is another example of an industry that is going to be impacted and benefiting from AI. And then we can also look at something like government uh, provision of services. And this gets back to my experience having served on the Gilroy City Council for, for quite some time. It's all about, as a city, how do we make sure that constituents and residents have the resources they need in an effective manner from the city? And AI can really help with automating routine tasks, providing 24-7 service, um, and really identifying areas uh, that are being underserved or areas where there is an overutilization of limited resources, especially in certain communities. So I think there are a lot of different industries that are going to be impacted by using AI as a way of better understanding data, parsing that data, and getting actionable information from that data. Well, let's take a a step deeper. Uh, ChatGPT is obviously the most famous of the gender of AI technologies that's being deployed uh, by a number of companies as well as through their own website. Um, you know, we're already seeing this being implemented by students in which they're, they're asking um, the AI tool to write their papers. Um, so clearly you're talking about all the opportunities, but um, don't you also see it uh, see the challenges that it poses, challenges to teachers, challenges to learning. Um, clearly, there are ways to um, use it in the classroom constructively, but it also has uh, that other side to it, don't you think? Yeah, I think that's I think that's inherent to any new technology. There are the positive use cases 
And then sometimes you have people using it in ways that, uh, that maybe for which it wasn't really intended or kind of undermining a process, especially in education. Now, now ChatGPT is the AI du jour, but I'd really encourage everyone to take a breath as they think about how it's being applied in an educational setting. This technology is an example of a large learning model that, that can produce text on a variety of different subjects. But we have to remember that new technologies in academic settings uh, have often been, been applied there. This is, this is nothing new. And, and, and some educators, uh, you know, I read about, they, they worry about the use of advanced calculators, you know, your TI-81s or TI-82s. Uh, to perform complex math problems, and there was there was concern when those were introduced into into classrooms if there was going to be an erosion of math skills by allowing students to use that kind of calculator. And then there was concern over the use of cliff notes and summary guides and things like that. And then a little bit more recently in my time, there was a growing fear that students would simply purchase reports and papers off of the internet. Um, so the fear of intellectual dishonesty associated with new technology uh, is pretty common throughout history. Uh, and I think that like the, the technologies that I talked about earlier, whether it's a calculator, whether it's getting stuff off the internet, et cetera, I, I think students are still going to ultimately have to understand the underlying concepts and the principles of a task in order to use AI tools. And, and the goal there is certainly to look at those tools as a supplement and not a replacement. And this is going to require that uh, educators are going to have to continue to remain vigilant in rooting out cases where students are unexpectedly producing work that is beyond you know, the, the range of what they've traditionally produced in terms of quality or style. And, and parents are still going to have to be involved with younger students about what the expectations are around using some of these tools. And then ultimately, again, it get back to, it really does get back to the students. They know, I think at the end of the day, that they have to under, understand the underlying concepts in order to, to apply the tool uh, effectively in later uh, circumstances. So I, I don't see it necessarily as a replacement, but I do see it as a supplement. Well, I certainly appreciate your optimism there because I, I had a TI-81 calculator, great calculator. My, my son has a TI-85. Uh, there is a huge jump from, um, from that to the generative AI that we're seeing. Um, I think it does provide enormous opportunities, but the challenges um, are significant. Now, when we turn the coin um, a little bit, uh, some, including some of the some of the um, leading thinkers about AI, leading uh, technologists have raised the alarm, uh, calling it very modestly an extinction level risk. So first, do you agree with them uh, that the survival of the human species is at issue here? Um, and second, you know, what, what do you think is a fair um, discussion of what the risks are? Well, the survival of humanity is already at risk. And, and you've got challenges like climate change, sea level rise, wildfires, global pandemics, you know, homelessness, lack of housing, variety of other big existential challenges. And AI has the potential to help us address these challenges because it'll help us better understand these problems and deploy 
efficient solutions in response. Now, let me be very clear. AI poses its own set of unique challenges. And I think, Scott, your point about these being new challenges is completely fair. So I think as an industry, as a business association, we are looking at this through the lens of how do we ensure the responsible and ultimately the safe deployment of this technology. And one of the one of the principles that we use to kind of guide our work in this space is to make sure that any technology that is being deployed is ultimately done in the service of human beings. So it has to be human centric. The technology also has to be transparent as well. People have to understand how decisions are being made, how data is being used and, and filtered into these programs uh, so that they grow in a way that is beneficial. I think we also have to ensure that AI programs are, are secure. We know there are a variety of cybersecurity concerns in any number of different technological realms. AI is certainly no different. And, and when I talk about security uh, of information, we also have to ensure that the information is accurate in and of itself. Like a child, like that young student that I talked about at the very beginning, uh, how that student grows and learns and develops and ultimately refines their thinking is going to depend in large part about the quality and the quantity of information that they're receiving. So we have to make sure that information that is being fed into these programs is accurate, but also complete in the sense that it fully reflects the universe of information. And so if we take an example like what we were talking about earlier about the provision of government services, we have to make sure that all communities, information from all communities is being included and processed through these, through these AI programs. Um, otherwise, you might get information that simply reinforces existing biases or inequities. So making sure that data is secure and accurate and, and free from bias is really, really critical uh, to promoting beneficial AI. So if we can if we can meet those criteria, if we can honor those principles and work towards them, I think we stand a better chance of addressing some of the endemic challenges that have stymied our communities for far too long already. So another really critical issue is jobs, of course. Um, uh, other leading thinkers on AI have raised the concern that AI would take over literally all human jobs. You can certainly see it in the white collar space where um, even uh, in early days, um, you know, AI can, can do some of the functionality that, that people particularly at junior levels can do. So uh, speak to this, like how should we be thinking about AI's impact on the workforce? Well, let's set the table first as we consider labor in, in the United States. And I think I like to, as I mentioned earlier about you know history and looking at previous iterations of technology in classrooms, I'm going to turn to history again here. Uh, I was a big history uh, guy in school, so this is something that always rings true for me. And what we've seen throughout history is that new technologies have produced more jobs than those that they replace. And I think 
when we look at the state of labor right now, the, the World Economic Forum, one of the one of the leading institutions that thinks about these issues, they predicted that AI will replace 85 million jobs by 2025. But AI will create 97 million new jobs. So there's a net gain of 12 million more jobs as a result of this technology. And but let me, let me interrupt that- there. Let me interrupt. I mean, what you're talking about is a massive disruption for those 85 million who who find themselves out of work. And a, a massive um learning curve for for the 97 million uh these numbers seem insane to me but that's okay uh of those uh for people who are you know whose jobs are being created so how do we think about that how do you make sure that um as this disruption happens that there's training and opportunities for those people who find themselves out of work scott i think you hit the answer there yourself i think it really is about how we transition people to this new kind of labor reality uh, that is likely to come and is going to be based on training. It's going to be on re-education. It's understanding that there are going to be new jobs that we can't even conceive of right now in June of 2023, simply because the technology will move and advance so much further than where we are today. Uh, I mean, I think about something like People right now are working as engineers, but they're also working sometimes as people who audit information that goes into AI programs. I mean, that's something that that would have been hard to imagine just a few short years ago. So there are going to be a lot of new jobs. And you're absolutely right. There is going to be a learning curve that comes with any new technology. When we look at the rise of the Internet and Internet based businesses, internet-based healthcare, internet-based education and online learning, there's always going to be a learning curve involved. And so training around that is going to be important. A lot of that is going to be done by uh, industry who recognize they're going to need a trained workforce to do these new uh, 97 million jobs created by AI. Industry will be taking a, a big role of that. We also recognize, too, that our educational institutions are also very much going to be involved in this as well. We've already seen that uh, some of our members at the leadership group that are educational institutions, that are research institutions, they're already adjusting their curricula to make sure that they're training people around AI. And it's not just computer scientists. It's not just engineers. Um, at one of the business schools that is affiliated with one of our members, they have now created a professional track for executives in training and for managers to understand how to deploy AI and what that's going to mean and how you manage that transition to these new jobs going forward for a workforce that's all kind of learning uh, how to do this at the same time. So it's going to be a uh, it's going to be a big change. Let me also, though, recognize that there are some other facts that need to be included in this as well. The U.S. is already facing a labor shortage. Uh, There are 11 million job openings at present. The U.S. is seeing uh, slower immigration than it has in years past. And we know there's a silver tsunami of baby boomers that are going to be retiring 
uh, very soon. And that's all hitting at the time that we're facing declining birth rates. So I think when we look at labor, when we look at jobs, yes, we have to recognize that there is going to be a learning curve. Industry, educational institutions are going to have to play a very big role in that. And we also know that AI is going to create a lot of new jobs and we have to figure out how those new jobs fit in with an already uh, short workforce that we have today. So I know that you're convening a working group at the Silicon Valley Leadership Group to try to think through some of these issues, uh, lay out principles, identify guardrails for responsible AI. Tell us a little bit about this group. What are you going to be tackling? Um, what's going to come first on the agenda? Thanks, Scott. We're very excited uh, about this at the Silicon Valley Leadership Group. We have put together a working group on responsible AI, and it is going to bring together member companies to help serve as a resource for members of the public, but also policymakers, regulators, and other decision makers to help them better understand what the state of AI is today and what are its likely futures going forward. And in addition, as you, as you correctly mentioned, we're working with a set of principles to ensure that industry is deploying this technology in a responsible way. And those principles get back to some of the items that I mentioned earlier around data being transparent, accurate, complete, non-biased, um, etc. So we are excited to serve as a resource, uh, as a source of information for decision makers and for the public. Uh, we are also going to be drafting a set of best practices for industry itself, high level best practices that they can use when companies are thinking through how do we deploy AI in a responsible way on our own. So we want to be proactive and we want to help create a roadmap that other companies and research institutions can use when they're deploying this, uh, this technology. And then finally, we know that there are going to be a lot of policy discussions and potential legislation around artificial intelligence. Policy advocacy has been a, a keystone of what we have worked on at the leadership group for the last 45 plus years. So we very much want to be involved in those policy discussions as well. So let's, let's, um, Let's talk about that a little bit more. There's already legislation that's been introduced on the federal side. I, I expect a raft of state legislation starting in Sacramento, but in other places as well. And what areas do you think that um, a quick consensus can be found, maybe around disclosure? And what areas do you see as probably being a bridge too far? Yeah, I think for for us, the way we're approaching this is that, you know, kind of each bill has to be kind of looked at on its own. I will say that one area of consensus I think that that industry uh, can kind of come around is that any legislation that is going to be proposed or pursued really should take into account a risk-based approach. And, and that's that's an approach whereby legislators and policymakers and regulators uh, identify and prioritize concerns that they might have around AI. And again, it is valid to, to have questions and concerns at this early stage. But when they have those concerns, that they are narrowly focused on particular elements of the AI technology or its output and its, uh, its impact on people, 
such that when they look for a solution, any bill is narrowly tailored to achieve a specific outcome. So I think that is something that we very much are looking for and we would promote. Um, and we're looking forward to having those policy discussions. As I mentioned, we've been doing this for 45 years of the leadership group. So we're we're happy to be a part of those discussions going forward, but we just want to make sure that any bill, any legislation, any regulation is narrowly tailored and doesn't just put a blanket prohibition uh, on, on AI activity without kind of understanding what it is the, the uh, objective is for that legislation. Um, so broad sweeping pronouncements, legislation, regulations, those are the things that we really would would advocate against as legislators think through these issues. All right. Finally, uh, let's end with uh, one segment that we call the musts. Uh, is there any anyone who's super smart about this that's a must read, a must watch, or a must listen so that we can get a realistic take about the realities of responsible AI? Who should we be paying attention to? So I think there are a couple of of sources that I use for good information about AI. Uh, the first is, is not a person, but it's the, the National Institute of Standards and Technology. That's They're known by their little acronym NIST. They are under the Department of Commerce. They put out a complete uh, a battery of resources around artificial intelligence, kind of helping people to understand it. Not only lay people in the general public, but also members of industry as well. They provide templates, thought pieces, um, different resources for those in the industry. Because there are a lot of people who are working in the tech space who are also trying to figure all of this stuff out and how they deploy it. So I think uh, NIST is a great source for up-to-date and a broad sweeping approach to, to AI. I would say one of my uh, one of my favorite people to kind of follow and, and read uh, is a gentleman named Kai Fu Li. He is a Taiwanese computer scientist. Uh, he wrote a book that I read several years ago about uh, AI superpowers and really kind of looked at AI from a macro global perspective um, as as an element of the struggle, the geopolitical struggle between China and the United States. And, and I found it absolutely fascinating because yes, we know AI is gonna play itself out on the local level um, in communities, but we also know that it's very much something that is gonna be on the global stage as well in terms of resources that countries put to it, in terms of how countries interact with not only their own people, but each other. And I think Kai-Fu Lee did a great job in his book about AI superpowers outlining what that might look like going forward from a geopolitical perspective. So, so two there. The first is NIST, giving you that uh, more specific look at, uh, at AI, and uh, Kai-Fu Lee, who really kind of takes that very wide global lens at AI. Peter, thank you so much for, how, for joining us here today. Uh, that's all the time we have. This is a truly fascinating space. We haven't really seen the energy around an issue like this for nearly two decades. Uh, as the policy space around AI develops, uh, we'd love to have you back if you're willing. So um, let us know if you're, uh, you'd are you be willing to join us again. Scott, it's been my pleasure. I would love to come back anytime. Thanks.
So Kate, what'd you think? That was fascinating. Um, Peter is obviously an expert on everything AI. Um, you know, it's a, a topic that is everywhere. Sometimes I feel like I know a lot, but every day I feel like I know a little bit less. Um, so having those resources he pointed out was especially helpful. Um, and I know that we probably have a couple of our own that we want to share with listeners as well. Okay, let's get to our musts. What should be people be watching, listening, or reading to right now? Yeah, I'm happy to start. Um, in terms of the musts, I have a new newsletter that I like to read, all focused on AI. It's called The Rundown. Um, it kind of uh, synthesizes all the news you need to know about AI, um, the latest from the largest Silicon Valley tech companies to legislation that's coming. Um, and it's just a good daily resource to kind of make sure you're up on up on all the latest. Uh, it's written by Rowan Chung. Um, and yeah, he's on Twitter. You can find him there um, or it's called The Rundown. So that's my must uh, read for the week. And for me, I've got two and I can't believe I'm saying either of them. Um, must watch. Gavin Newsom on with Sean Hannity on Fox. Um, you know, I've been following Gavin Newsom for some time and sometimes love what he does and sometimes less so. Um, I thought uh, he uh, demonstrated a masterclass on how to go on Fox, be effective and win, not just uh, the conversation, but win the debate. So good on him. The second thing, very similar, uh, Chris Christie on CNN, um, uh, they had a town hall. Uh, Chris Christie showed the way for how Republican candidates should take on Donald Trump. Um, I can't believe this that I'm saying this and admitting it out loud. I'm following Ann Coulter's advice. I donated $10 to the Christie campaign uh, because he needs 40,000 people to donate so that he can be on the same debate stage as Donald Trump. Uh, I encourage you all to do the same. So uh, both of them Go, going into the lion's den, showing strength and showing how to do politics right at this moment. Well, I can certainly say I've never followed Ann Coulter's advice, but maybe I should. Maybe <laughs> Seems you Seems like a good reason. Uh, uh, well, and then the only other advice we have is smash that subscribe button um, and we'll uh, um, join us for the next episode of the On the Verge of podcast. Thanks for joining. <laughs>